from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. In April 1997, the American TV sitcom Ellen, starring actress Ellen DeGeneres, aired a two-part episode in which her character made a very personal revelation. DeGeneres spoke about that public disclosure later the same year in an interview with Entertainment Tonight. I didn't really realize the impact of it at the time. I, people would tell me that there were parties all over the country. It was like Super Bowl. It was, it was it, people left work early. I'm so afraid to tell people. I mean, I just, Susan, I'm gay. There have been many, many people before me uh, stepping forward and saying that they're gay. Uh, certainly, I'm the first lead character, and it surprised people because we didn't start the series with me being gay. That felt great. <laughs> that felt so great. And it felt so loud. <laughs> we started with me being a heterosexual woman, and then she finds out she's gay, which is a kind of a risk when people fall in love with a character and, and say they, they like the character, and then all of a sudden you say, oh, by the way, I'm this, which supposedly everyone in society does not like. That's, that's a big risk. You keep hearing the question, you know, is America ready? Was America ready? It's, you know, well, I don't think anybody's ever ready for whenever anybody's the first to do something. And I'm not saying I was the first to do this, but for television I, I was. But nobody's ever ready. You can't just wait for uh, America to be ready. That was Ellen DeGeneres in an interview with Entertainment Tonight in 1997, talking about her characters coming out as gay earlier that same year on the sitcom Ellen. The sense of freedom, the risks, and readiness are points DeGeneres made about the in-real-life environment in which Ellen came out. But what was it like for a, quote, regular person, adult and child, in 1998? And here in 2022, how are those elements of social and cultural openness, hazard, and liberation different or yet unchanged? Here to discuss that in-real-life side of things is Nancy Fowler, writer and former STLPR arts and culture reporter, and her eldest child, Jamie Larson. Nancy and Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Elaine. Nancy, we introduced this segment with the Ellen DeGeneres interview to take us back to the late 90s and the social and cultural milieu of the time. Do you recall whether people around you had anything to say about Ellen coming out on the show? Yes. Well, I remember it was on the cover of Time magazine. uh, The headline was, Yep, I'm Gay. And it certainly, because people loved Ellen, and and people were like, they didn't love gay, but they loved Ellen, so they kind of had to wrestle with that dissonance. Mm -hmm. So Time magazine cover, that's a pretty big deal. And Jamie, you were about 11 at the time? 11 or 12, yeah. Yeah. What did that clip recall for you? Um, I I mean, I, I sort of remember that happening, um, but it, I mean, it wasn't really relevant to me. I mean, I wasn't, we weren't raised super conservative, neither or super liberal. So I guess I just didn't have many feelings about it in general, mm-hmm. um, but I do remember it happening. Nancy, what was the tenor of 
conversations around sexuality even farther back when you were youth growing up in the South? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, in middle school, queer was the worst thing you could be called. It was the very worst of all the slurs. Mm -hmm. And people didn't really... I didn't know a gay person. I didn't even know that there was a word called lesbian, for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, It was either unspoken or when it was, it was just with this disdain or this, you know, uh, attempt to humiliate. Mm -hmm. And how much of that do you think informed the way you approached or broached the topic of sexuality with Jamie and with your other two kids? Yeah, you know... I have a memory, Jamie. I don't know if you remember this, but one night, you know, I don't know how old you were, a little girl in your room, and I was somehow, I don't know if it was what brought this to my attention, but I thought, I need to talk about I need to tell you that some people, like some men, want to be with a man, and some women want to be with a woman, and that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't remember that. (laughs) But, I mean, I definitely remember, like, you know, being gay or being lesbian was definitely a negative thing. It was not something that you wanted, Um, you know. But I had never met a LGBTQ plus person Mm -hmm. um, that I knew of. So I just didn't have a whole lot of context. But it was probably a much more accepting and opening environment than, you know, mom, when you grew up, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, Nancy, you wrote a very personal essay published by the Huffington Post in late August this year. Mm -hmm. May I have you read the first three lines of that? Sure. In 1998, I nearly lost custody of my three young children. It wasn't because I was a bad mother. It was because I'm gay. There's been many years since 1998. um, And as we're talking, there's, there's laughter here. But we're talking about a situation that was um, that was life changing on many different levels. When did you start writing the piece that opens with those lines? Um, well, I mean, I really initially first began writing about my experience um, twenty four years ago. Um, but I began writing this piece when after um, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. And I saw a connection between rolling back that right and possibly rolling back um, same-gender marriage. Well, I mean, Clarence Thomas actually, you know, introduced the idea that, well, maybe other rights that are based in privacy, maybe we'll take a second look at those, and marriage equality would be one of those. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the right to parent your children isn't far behind that. So was publishing this essay part of the plan when you started writing it? Um, Yes. Yes. I intended to do that. Yeah. I I sent it to two places, the New York Times and Huffington Post. And Huffington Post wrote me back like within an hour and said, we want it. Jamie, you got to see the essay before it went live online. What went through your adult mind as you were reading it? Um, I mean, I, I think that there was, you know, a lot of things that were familiar to me that I went through, um, but just hearing them from her perspective and from an adult perspective um, was definitely a little different. And um, I had also read a like an early 
copy of my mom's memoir several years ago. Um, and so I I feel like I learned a lot more and a lot of that story was covered then. So it wasn't really a whole lot of new information, maybe a few new like specific details. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about one or two of them maybe? Um, I think I, I don't know if I had heard the story before um, uh, about um, uh, you know, talking on the phone to your girlfriend at the time and saying, um, you know, I want to be a family. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I had heard that detail before. Right. Well, and family is very relevant to why we're mm-hmm. sitting here together to talk. Jamie, as the oldest child, and at 12 years old, which is this sort of interesting in-between stage, did you have insights into what your mother was going through that maybe your younger siblings might not have picked up on? Um, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I kind of knew, you know, what it meant to be gay or lesbian probably a little bit more um, than they did. My my One of my brothers is three years younger and the other one is five years younger than me. Um, and I think I had a little bit more insight as to what, what that was. Um, but I think we all kind of found out in different ways. In different ways. So you were in late elementary, early middle school when your parents divorced. Were there various communities you were part of, either through school or other activities, that were small enough that people knew what was happening with your family and that your your mother's gay? Not really. Okay. Um, I... When I was in, I think, ninth grade, um, when there was another, uh, we, you know, had to go to court for a couple of different things um, with with custody and some other things, Um, I hadn't told, none of my friends knew, uh, none of them at all. Mm -hmm. I told one friend, um, who I'm still friends with now, I just talked to her the other night, um, and she was the only friend her and her mom knew for a few years, and it wasn't until my senior year of high school that I told a few, like very few, maybe three or four additional close friends. Yeah. And what was the response then? Because that still puts us sort of in the the early part of the aughts. Um, I, I mean, I definitely like maybe a little bit of shock, but I don't th- I never got any negative responses. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember kids at school sometimes saying not about my family in particular, but I remember a kid in a class saying like that would be so damaging and how messed up would you be if your parent was gay? And I remember hearing that. And thinking like, oh, man, am I going to be really messed up? (laughs) And if that, you know, is that what people think, you know, about my situation, that it's that terrible? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, you know, I definitely remember it being tough, but not not where I felt like I was messed up for life or anything like that. Which I think gets to this point about who is fit or not to Mm -hmm. raise children and then the the generational effects um, imagined um, or or actual. Mm-hmm. Jamie, was there uh, anything about your family life that didn't change at all or maybe even improved after your mom began living sort of this new chapter of her life uh, as a woman and a, a partner? Um, I'm trying to think if anything stayed the same. I mean, we had, you know, you know, some of the same sort of traditions. Um, You know, we had a lot of the same friends, um, family friends and stuff that we still 
saw. Um, I can't really think of anything that maybe like improved. It was just it was just very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely feel like rem- instead of being just like normal, average, like there was something different about my family, which. I don't know. I guess I've just been somebody who wanted to be a little bit different. And so that, I guess, was a little bit of a perk, I guess. Okay. How much progress, Nancy, do you think has been made around LGBTQ parenting since 98 when you were deemed by law that you were an unfit parent because you were a gay person? Yeah. So, you know, in my divorce papers when I was served, um, I was – my then husband sought uh, full custody, um, and that bid for full custody was supported by the laws of Missouri, which at that time just de facto deemed gay parents unfit. Mm-hmm. It was thought to cause harm to the children um, just by its very nature. And um, so, but even, you know, around the time of my divorce, that began to change a little bit, and they, uh, the Missouri courts, um, began to do this thing where, you know, have this tenet about the best interest of the children, you know, you had to actually prove that they would be harmed by Mm -hmm. having a gay parent. But, you know, there was another case uh, around the same time as mine. And while the law said you had to prove it, proof could be something like they got teased at school. You know, they felt embarrassed to say, you know, to to have a friend over, um, or just even they might get bullied in school. And so, okay, harm proven, can't have custody. So that, um, by the time, though, in 2003, I think the Supreme Court um, um, in Lawrence v. Texas, um, it it ruled it no longer was um, illegal for gay people to have intimate relations. And that, that in itself really changed things. And then, of course, in 2015, with the Obergefell case, the Supreme Court um, approved same-gender marriage, and that be- be- sort of ended the arguments against gay people being able to parent their children. So it, in, in those, say, 15, 17 years, um, things changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Nancy Fowler, former STLPR arts and culture reporter, uh, and our daughter, Jamie Larson, about the impact of, um, of being gay and being a parent and recognizes someone who is is fit to to play that role. Why, to you, Nancy, is LGBTQ parent and family-making experience something that you want more people to understand or pay attention to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is so very different now. I mean, just to go back, I mean, at the time, I was terrified that I would lose custody of my children and more importantly that they would lose me. Um, I actually was a stay at home mom at the time and, you know, very, you know, involved. I mean, their dad was very involved too, but you know, differently. And I think it's important for people to know that how, you know, by the skin of my teeth that I retain joint custody because I, you know, some things are going backwards now. I mean, with with overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, I think it's important to not be complacent in our thinking and to think, well, that could never happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think by telling this story, it it shows. You know, we know we have to know our history in order to not repeat it, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that's a big reason why I think it's important. 
Jamie, you are nodding. What do you think about this, about you know, awareness regarding LGBTQ parent and family making? Um, I think that it's just a story that's not really told or that I feel like, especially the perspective of the children, I don't feel like is very much spoken about. I can't think of really many people uh, who have. Um, so I do think it's very important to to have our story be, be out there for people to hear. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, at the time, I kind of had to think a lot about, you know, what what being gay or lesbian and what that meant. And I think it really kind of pushed my maturity and awareness of, you know, other people from different backgrounds or cultures or, um, you know, uh, different economic circumstances. It just allowed me, because I had been through sort of a struggle and a change, to be more aware and empathetic to other people of having changes as well. Nancy, in the process of negotiating custody, which was very much time to laws, as you said, in misery at the time you were in divorce proceedings, did that ever make you question whether you were, in fact, fit to parent, even if you'd already demonstrated that fully, as a mom of 12 years with three kids, that you could do so without any issue? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had up to that time been, you know, pretty confident about my parenting. But any time you spend a year in depositions with an attorney across from you, you know, insinuating that you're unfit, that you're unstable, that, you know, what about the children and did they know this and did they know that? Well, isn't it true that they would be bullied at school? And isn't it true? And, you know, it's the legal, the scrutiny that my parenting, not only for being gay, but then my my actual parenting, you know, came under. I mean, I was afraid. I'm going to tell this story. So, (laughs) um, Jamie, one time when you were 12, you came home from, I picked you up from dance. And I just, we were talking and laughing, and I playfully slapped you on the butt, and you said, that's sexual abuse. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And I thought, that was during the custody battle, and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, you, you're young and innocent, and you don't know. You have you just said that so innocently. You learned a new concept, and you said, "My dance teacher told me that never, no one can touch us without our consent." And I'm like, the old parent me would have said, "Yay!" and and I did, but I also it put a fear in my heart that somehow that was going to come out in court and just an innocent, you know, touch. And so that was um, yes. Did I question myself? I questioned everything. It really led to a plummet in self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Well, I apologize. I'm sure I was probably just being over dramatic to get attention or to, you know, I had just learned about something and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, I'm going to use this. But or, of you course. know, but I, yeah, should not have done that. No, but no, no. It was perfectly yeah. <laughs> natural that you would have. You were trying out a new concept and using your new word and. You know, and that was all well and good. It was just you had no way to know this underbelly. Well, hearing that, Jamie, how has being raised the daughter of your mother, Nancy Fowler, with such a rich, complex personal history of struggles and revelations, how has that made you who you are today? Uh, I uh, very much, you know, made me. Uh, who I am today. Um, I mean, you know, my goes without saying, my mom is an excellent mom. We had so Aww, much love and you. support and structure and 
Uh, I think it just shows that we, the three of us, my two, me and my two brothers, got along so well when we were younger that people thought it was strange. <laughs> um, and I think that's just because we had we had so much love and support and structure um, when we were children um, that we you know, we're just not encouraged to fight or argue or we encouraged to talk out our differences and, you know, and share. Um, but yes, but it's, as far as, um, you know, having a parent that has, uh, you know, gone through a lot of challenges and revelations in her life, I think that's uh, just allowed me to, uh, I guess, be more open and empathetic to other people as well. Um, and, uh you know, use those challenges as ways to push myself forward and take risks and uh, pursue my dreams and, as well. Nancy Fowler is a journalist and writer, formerly with St. Louis Public Radio, as an, an arts and culture reporter. The essay she wrote for the Huffington Post, Being Gay Made Me an Unfit Parent, is part of a memoir she's currently working on. Jamie Larson is the eldest of Nancy's three children. Nancy and Jamie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. This episode was produced by Alex Hoyer. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.